Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. to say to you thanks for being here welcome glad we get to spend this time together uh, one just quick thing by way of announcement if you've got a uh, an elementary age kid in your life um, our uh, faith kids program has got a great event coming up this friday evening uh, called the my storybook thing you want to be sure you check that out your kids will get more information about that today downstairs in junior church uh, so be sure that uh, if you've got a, a first grader through our kindergarten through a fifth grader be sure they're here friday night for that wonderful uh, my storybook event uh, we've been in a sermon series of this spring as we're kind of leading towards Easter where we've been um, talking about the, the concept, the idea of prayer. We've identified prayer as, as a, a real conversation between the real you and the real God. Just having real talk. We, we get bogged down in the big words and we get bogged down in how other people can do it. So we've been just kind of trying to get our minds wrapped around prayer and I've been challenging you to join me in a journey of prayer between now and Easter and I hope you're still on that journey um, let me just ask you as we kind of get rolling in this today if you can remember the first prayers or prayer that you learned when you were a kid now a lot of times when we teach kids prayers or little kids we teach them in in rhymes much like nursery rhymes to help them remember prayers so maybe you learned some of these prayers when you were a kid here's one that a lot of people learned um, that goes like this god in heaven hear my prayer keep me in thy loving care be my guide in all i do bless all of those who love me too Amen. You may have prayed that prayer as a kid. That's a pretty good prayer. That's nice and simple. It rhymes. Not a bad prayer. Easy to teach your kids. Pretty good. How about this one? Some of you will remember this one. Now I lay me down to sleep. Oh, I, 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 I hear the familiarity already. Let me finish this. Make sure you remember this. Now I lay me down to sleep. This is a bedtime prayer. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. What? What? If I should die? No wonder you had nightmares as a kid. Your grandma taught you to pray in case you died. While you were asleep, no, no wonder you couldn't sleep later. What's going to happen? No wonder. Or how about this one? This is the first prayer I remember praying. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. You remember that one? There's another part too, but that's all we prayed at my house. God is great. God is good. I think most of us would agree with that prayer, right? Or at least part of it. Most of us would agree with the God is great part. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's in all places all, at all times. If you believe that God created the beautiful world that we see around us, it's not much of a stretch for you to believe that God is great. Even if you're not sure about this whole church Bible Jesus thing yet, it's not, it's not too much of a stretch for you to go, okay, if there's a creator, some of the stuff we see around here is pretty good, pretty, pretty great. It's not a stretch to, to get to that God is great part. It's the second part of that prayer that a lot of people struggle with. The God is good part. Oh yeah, sure, God is great. He made everything. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. But, but is he good? Because God, if God is good, why didn't he answer my prayer? If God is good, why did my grandma still die of cancer? If God is good, then, then why didn't my parents stay together? Because I prayed that they would. Why didn't they stay together? God is great. Yes. Yeah, sure. God is good. I'm not so sure about that. If you've ever wrestled with that, 
Can I just tell you, you're not alone. You're not the first one. And Jesus addresses this very thing. So we're in this journey of prayer together here at Faith Christian. I hope you've been working through this 28-day prayer guide that I handed out the last couple of weeks. Uh, there may be one or two left. If not, get on the website. You can jump in the last couple of weeks. You want to be sure that you're participating in that the week before Easter. There's a lot of things kind of talking about the cross and, and the garden and things like that. You want to not miss that next, next week especially. But I hope you'll keep playing along this week on this prayer journey. One of the things that we're learning about prayer as we've been talking through this the last couple of weeks and learning about how to pray is that God not only hears our prayers, but he answers our prayers. And today we're talking about this idea of persistence in prayer. What do you do when you pray and you don't seem to get the answer? What do you do when you pray and, and it doesn't seem like God's listening? Because Jesus is in this parable we're going to read today. Jesus is going to encourage her, his followers to be persistent in their prayer. So let me set the scene for you, and we're going to jump into a, a story that Jesus tells about prayer. Uh, a teaching story he uses to teach his disciples and teach us about prayer. Let, let me set the scene. Uh, in Luke 18 is where we pick this up. Jesus is traveling. Uh, he did this a lot. He's traveling from his home area in Galilee, which is kind of on the north side of what we would know as Israel now. He's traveling in, from Galilee. He's headed down south to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast in, this, in the kind of the mega city of Jerusalem. This is a 79-mile journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. Jesus made this trip a bunch of times in his life, a bunch of times. This was like driving to Canton for him. This is something he just did all the time. But this time would be different. This time in Luke 18, this time it's different. Because as Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, he knows that within just a matter of days, he is going to be arrested. He knows that within just a few days, he is going to be put on trial. And within just a few days, Jesus knows he is going to be crucified. So every conversation, every conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, his followers, is critical. He's giving them his kind of last words. He knows these are the last few days he's going to have with them. So he's trying to embark on, impart on them this wisdom and this understanding. So on this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, on his way towards, literally towards the cross, Jesus tells his disciples a parable about prayer. And Luke, the, who, who wrote this biography of Jesus, Luke wants us to know up front why Jesus tells them this parable. Why he's telling it. He tells it up front in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke lets us know, here's why Jesus tells the disciples this story. He says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should, would you read this last line with me? That they should always pray and never give up. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew where they were headed. He knew that in just a matter of days, his closest followers, his disciples, his friends, were going to have to go through some stuff. He knew that they were going to be dealing with the most horrific events of their lives. That he would be arrested and that they would be scattered. Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified and that they would be left with the greatest disappointment in God that they had ever felt. Jesus knew that the next week or so of their lives were going to rock their faith to its core. And not only would they have trouble believing that God is good, they might even have trouble with the God is great part. They would wonder, 
if they had wasted the last three years of their lives following Jesus. Maybe you've had a moment like that. Where you were so disappointed in God that you couldn't even pray. Maybe it was anger at God, but maybe it wasn't so much anger, it's just disappointment. Or you just didn't even have the capacity within you to pray. Have you been there? I have. Well, Jesus addresses this very thing. Here's the parable he tells in Luke 18. He says, There was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. Now, Jesus introduces to us two characters in this story, a judge and a widow. Let's talk about these two characters for a minute. This judge, Jesus calls the, just, uh, calls the judge a little later in the passage, calls the, just, uh, the judge unjust. says here in, this, in, in verse 2 that he neither fears God nor cares about people. Seems like a nice guy, huh? Neither fears God nor cares about people. Now, in the historical context, first century, Jerusalem, Israel, first century, judges were appointed by the Romans, who were the occupying nation, the occupying force there in Israel. Judges were appointed by the Romans to keep peace in the smaller towns and the villages. And as often, as will happen with power, these judges were very often corrupt. The way the court system worked back then was, if somebody stole from you, if someone assaulted you, if someone in your family was murdered or assaulted, something like that, the police and the prosecutors did not take your case to court. It's not an episode of law and order, right? In the first century, what would happen was if someone had done something to you, you had to go to the court. You had to do the investigation. You had to bring the charges against the person who had wronged you. You had to go before the judge. You are the one who had to go and try to get justice for yourself. So it's a little different than the way it works today. Now, of course, the judges would often, you know, take a little bribe. You grease the wheels of justice, as the old expression goes. They would take a little bribe to determine who got justice and who didn't get justice. And they would take little bribes and, and make decisions to help boost their own political power or financial power. That's character number one, is a judge. Neither feared God or cared about people. Unjust judge. Character number two is a widow. A widow. This widow is a person who, in this court system, in this first century context, is trying to get justice. Something has happened to her. We don't know what. Something has happened to her where she needs to take a case to the court to try to get justice. Now, this would have been very unusual for several reasons. The most, the most unusual of these reasons is in the first century, in those days, women did not go to court. They did not do that, especially by themselves. They would be represented by a man. This was a very patriarchal society, and the men were the ones who went to court. So if a widow had a beef, she had, had a case that she needed to bring to court, her husband, or excuse me, a woman would have a case, her husband, a brother, a son, somebody would go to court for her. But this woman apparently has no one. So she has to go by herself, which would have been incredibly humiliating for her. And she goes to the court, and she pesters this corrupt judge to give her the justice that she, does, that she deserves. 
and she goes again and she goes again and she goes again and she's just she's just a pest bringing this case before the judge time and time again verse 4 for some time he the judge refused but finally he said to himself even though i don't fear god or care what people think yet because this widow keeps bothering me i will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me now this is a little we got to understand this phrase this little phrase attack in the original language literally means to strike someone under the eye it was a boxing term um, it, it, they used in the day the, the expression today would be to beat them black and blue or maybe like maybe, maybe a more accurate description would be to give them a black eye not a literal black eye but a figurative black eye we would say it like this she's given me she gave him a black eye her persistence him not doing his job makes him look bad to the public you see what we're getting at she's giving him a black eye because he's now he's he's losing some standing politically He's in what everybody knows that this, this is going on and he's not doing anything about it He's not doing his job. So he's got this Reputation that's deteriorating in the community and and she's just taking up a lot of his time So verse 6 jesus goes on and the lord said Listen to what the unjust judge says And will god not bring about justice for his chosen ones Who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you He will see that they get justice and quickly now this is kind of a confusing parable here's why typically when we read one of jesus's parables we automatically try to write ourselves into the story that's the way it works and that's a good thing we write ourselves into the story and we write god into the story because we know that jesus is telling us these stories to help us understand what the kingdom of god is like so for instance most famous parable of jesus the, the, the parable of the prodigal son we hear that parable kid takes his dad's inheritance goes and blows it all in money winds up in the ditch decides he's going to go home tail between his legs dad comes out loves him welcomes him home we know the parable it's easy for us when we read that parable to go oh yeah i'm the prodigal son i'm the one who's gone against what god wanted me to do it's easy to write myself into that story and it's even easier to write god into the story god is the loving father who forgives and welcomes the son home it's easy to write ourselves and god into the story but this parable in luke 18 <laughs> this is a little more confusing, isn't it? Because if we're going to write ourselves into this story, there's two characters. We must be the persistent widow. Okay, that's not too much of a stretch. We're the one who goes to God with prayer again and again because we, we, we need something from God. We need God to act on our behalf, so we go to God. Okay, I can write myself into the story. But where am I going to put God in this story? Because if I'm the persistent widow in the story, that means God must be the judge who does not care about his people and finally helps the widow not because he cares for her but because he wants to get rid of her so the point must be then of the parable is that god doesn't care about us he just wants to get rid of us aren't you glad you came to church today let's just sing and go home all right this parable those as depressing as that thought is well let's just say it like this i know a lot of people who think about god just like that I know a lot of people whose, whose opinion of God, their view of God is just like that, that he doesn't care, that he's just trying to get rid of us, just waiting for us to disappoint him, to disappoint him. And a lot of us, if we're honest, that's the way some of us view God. And the reason that you don't pray is because you feel like God doesn't care about you. Or you think that God is just punishing you. 
Or God is just waiting for you to screw up again. Or God has given up on you. Or God just wants to get rid of you. Well, this is not a parable of comparison. This is a parable of contrast. And so Jesus says to us, if in this story, if the unjust judge gives in because of the persistence of this widow, how much more will a loving father, we've spent weeks talking about God as father in this prayer conversation, how much more will a loving father grant the request and the needs of his children? The point of the parable is not that we pester God until God gives in. The point is, we are not pestering God when we pray. So don't give up. Keep praying. Three chapters earlier, excuse me, seven chapters earlier, I can do math. In Luke 11, seven chapters earlier, Jesus tells a very similar parable. And here's how Jesus applies that parable. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke 11. So I say to you, Again, he's talking about prayer. This idea of being persistent in prayer. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus says this in three different ways, three different verbs, ask, seek, and knock, as a way to emphasize that the Father wants you to ask and to seek and to knock, to always pray and never give up. And then Jesus takes it a step further in Luke 11 and gives us a picture of what the Heavenly Father is like. Verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 11. He says, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish... Do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. And the implied answer is no. No loving father would ever do that. Verse 13. If then you, though you are evil, now I know this kind of trips us up a little bit, so I want you to think here imperfect parent. We can, we can all get our mind wrapped around imperfect parent. <clears throat> if you, though you are an imperfect parent, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is saying that even though we are imperfect parents, that we love our children so much, if you are a parent, you love your kids so much that you will give them exactly what they need. And Jesus' point is, how much more will God do for you? How much more will God do for you? So maybe the question that some of us need to hear today is this. Do you believe that God has good gifts for you? For many of us, we have a hard time believing that. And maybe you have a hard time believing that because something has happened in your life. And maybe you've been disappointed with God or God's people. And you're here today. You're tuned in on this broadcast. You're a part of this, this church because you want to pursue God. But you get tripped up sometimes. You have a hard time sometimes believing that God has good gifts for you. 
that he wants to bless your life, and Jesus is trying to change this paradigm for you. Here's what being persistent in prayer looks like. This is, this is what Jesus is teaching us. That persistence in prayer is not just about praying for something. It's praying through something. It's praying for something until something happens. It's praying through it. Not just praying for something. It's praying through something. When you begin to pray with persistence, it changes your perspective. And some of you have been praying for something for a long, long time. Here's how it, how, kind of how it goes. God, this is what I want you to do for me. God, this is my expectation of you. But Jesus' idea here is not just praying for something. It's praying through something. It's praying through a situation. This is the widow in this parable in Luke 18. That you pray and you don't give up. That you pray and you don't give up. That you ask and seek and knock. And God is not bothered by your persistence. God is actually honored by your persistence. It was a couple weeks ago now, I, um, I broke a tooth. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. I'm just minding my own business, eating a big handful of caramel corn. Next thing you know, I have a tooth that's missing in the side of my mouth. Just like split that sucker right in half. Can I just tell you, it did not tickle. <laughs> that's a painful moment. If you've ever broken a tooth, you know that's a painful moment. So off to the dentist I go as soon as the dentist could get me in. Actually, I end up going to the dentist four times over the next three weeks to get this repaired. And each time that I'm in the dentist chair, the first thing that she does each time is she gives me a shot. She takes this needle that's about the size of my car, <laughs> and she wiggles my, my lip, and she sticks this monstrosity thing. She actually tells me to close my eyes because it's pretty scary. And, and she put, puts this anesthetic into my lip. And you, you've been to the dentist before. You know what happens. Why do they do this? To dull the pain to dull the pain and it works my whole face goes numb my cheek swells my face goes numb i can't feel my broken tooth which is nice but i also can't feel my cheek i can't feel my other teeth i can't feel my tongue i can't feel my right arm all this stuff is happening i can't i was numb to the pain and when i left the dentist office each of those four times when i left the dentist office guess what i still was numb for the rest of the day i had to be careful eating because i couldn't feel my tongue i didn't need to bite my tongue or my lip. I couldn't feel anything because I was so numb. Here's the thing. Some of you have become numb to God. Maybe you've become numb to God because of your disappointment with God. And you become numb to God and so you've, you've stopped praying because you're not sure it makes any difference. You've kind of cut yourself off from this relationship with the Father because of your disappointment with God or maybe more specifically with God's people. And your thought is, if God is great, he doesn't seem very good. So you've given up and you're numb. And Jesus speaks to those of us who are numb today and he says, pray and don't give up. Pray and don't give up pray and don't give up and you don't just pray for something you pray through something here's something that i learned a couple weeks ago while working on this sermon series this is absolutely fascinating to me prayer can actually rewire your brain let me tell you what i mean you know when you when you get on your google machine and you type in your google search engine bar 
the Google engine tries to guess how you're going to finish your, your search. You, you've seen this happen before. It gives you prompts because it thinks it's smarter than you are, and it probably is. It, it tries to tell you what you think you're searching for. So you begin typing something in, and it tries to finish the phrase for you to save you some time. And so, for instance, let's say you're typing in back-to-school clothes, and you write back, and then it finishes out backstreet boys, right? That's just me? No one else? Okay. All right. <clears throat> So here's what the Google machine does. The Google machine learns what you've searched for. This is all based on your previous search history. It learns what you look for. It autofills based on your past experiences and on your patterns. So how do you change that autofill in your spiritual life? Instead of going back to the old patterns, instead of staying in that state of being numb, how do you change them? Well, it happens through prayer, through your persistence in prayer. Because not only can prayer touch the heart of God, but prayer can actually change the chemistry in your brain. This doctor by the name of Carolyn Leaf has written a book called Switch on Your Brain, and she has done some extensive research on the scientific relationship of how scripture and prayer can rewire your brain. Listen to what she writes. It's been found that 12 minutes, 12 minutes, it's about how long it takes to read this and pray through it, by the way. That might have been on purpose. It's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. I think this is fascinating. She goes on and she talks about how toxic thoughts in your mind can actually cause damage to the brain and it can kind of autofill from all those past experiences that you had, that these toxic thoughts that kind of take you back to all kinds of things, but prayer can reverse that damage. Prayer can actually heal the brain and renew the mind. So what do we do with all this? Let me give you three real quick, real practical suggestions. Three things that you, when you are facing a challenging thing in your life, three things that you can begin to put into practice that will hopefully change the way you pray and help you pray not just for something, but through something. Here's the first thing. Larry's first tip of the day. It's, I'm going to do what I can do. First thing, I'm going to do what I can do. Sometimes we get mad at God because God has not changed the situation for us. God has not changed what has happened. Well, maybe, maybe God's waiting for us to act. Maybe God's waiting for us to do something. For, for instance, this is a, a, an easy example, but let's say I have a health issue. What can I do? Well, I need to change the way that I eat. I need to start exercising. I need to go to the doctor. I'm going to do what I can do. Maybe it's a financial issue. Then I'm going to have to learn to live on a budget. Maybe I'm going to have to get someone to help me create a budget. I'm going to have to reprioritize my spending. I'm going to have to start cleaning up the mess because it's not going to get better on its own. I'm going to have to do something. Maybe it's a difficult relationship. So in the midst of this difficult relationship, I'm going to go see a counselor. I'm going to ask some trusted friends to maybe speak some truth into my life to see if there's any blind spots that I'm missing in this relationship. I'm going to do what I can do. Here's number two. Then I'm going to give to God what I can't do. I'm going to give God what I can't do. I can't heal that person. I can't change that situation. I can't control everything that happens. I try, <laughs> but I can't do it. I can't force someone else to change. There are areas of my life where I am absolutely powerless. There are situations that I cannot change, so I'm going to be persistent in prayer. 
I'm going to do what I can do, and then I'm going to ask God to do what only God can do. Because it is God who changes situations. It is God who changes people. It is God who changes hearts. And then number three, I'm going to trust God no matter what. No matter what his answer is, I'm going to trust God either way. Yes or no from God, I'm going to trust that God knows best. We have a beautiful picture of this with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Brian's going to spend some time on this text for us next Sunday. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he's arrested after he's left the, 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 the upper room where he's instituted the Lord's Supper. He goes to the Garden to pray to God. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows the crucifixion is within hours at this point. And Jesus prays to God, God, is there some other way we can do this? Is there any other way that this can happen? Will you take this? He knows he's about to give up his life on the cross. So he's praying in Mark 14, verse 36. says, Abba, Father. Again, Abba, that's a word for, for dad, father. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Please, God, if there's any other way, take this from me. They look at the end of the prayer. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, but what you will. He's going to trust God no matter what. Yes or no to the, to the request. Some other way to take this cup from me, yes. Some other way to take this cup from me, no. I'm going to trust you no matter what. Not my will, but your will. Listen, the purpose of prayer is not to impose your will on God. The purpose of prayer is to surrender your will to God. God, I'm surrendering my will to you. I'm trusting you no matter what. All right, so here's my challenge for you as we leave today. Make, make a plan to pray. Again, keep praying through this 28-day prayer guide. Again, it's on the front page of our website if you haven't got it. Make a plan to pray. Remember that just 12 minutes a day, 12 minutes of daily prayer can rewire the way you think. Be persistent in your prayer let it change your perspective god i'm going to pray not just for something not just for a situation i'm going to pray through this situation i'm going to surrender my will to you i'm going to invite you to join me in a time of prayer right now if our community team will go ahead and take their places i'm going to invite you to as you're sitting there just to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes i'm going to kind of prompt you through a prayer exercise this morning i want us to spend some time give you some time an opportunity to do some praying this morning not just listen to me pray so so as you just kind of begin to do some business with God as you said. I'm going to just prompt you. I'll do the out loud part. You do the praying part. So let's just begin with this. Ask God, and maybe you already know the answer to this, but ask God, are there some things that you need to change? Is, is there a step that God is calling you to take? Maybe it's making a difficult decision. Maybe it's a decision about your finances. Maybe it's a decision about a relationship. Maybe it's a, it's a sin issue that you need to deal with and you've just been ignoring it forever. What is it? Is there something that you need to deal with? And God has been prompting you to take this step and to finally deal with it. What is it that God is asking you to do? I want you to confess that to God right now. Just between you and God. Just speak that to God. What is it that you need to confess to God right now? I just want to give you a moment. Where is God moving you to move and to change? Just go ahead and give that to God right now.
right, now here's the next thing. Now, is there something that only God can do? What worry are you carrying around right now that you can't control? Where you feel absolutely powerless in that situation? Where is God just nudging you? You need to pray and not give up. I want you to ask God to intervene in that situation right now in your life. Whatever it is, wherever you feel powerless, wherever you feel desperate, would you just ask God to intervene in your life right now? Now here's where we're going to close. I'm going to give you a moment for you to to declare your trust in God with this issue. God, I'm trusting you no matter what. God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. If you give me the answer that I want, God, I'm trusting you. If you don't give me the answer that that I want, God, I'm trusting you. Either way, God, I'm trusting you. I'm submitting. I'm surrendering myself to your will, God. I'm praying right now, not my will, but your will be done. God, I'm trusting you in that. Father, that's our prayer. We trust you. We trust you to do in our lives what only you can do. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.